The chaplet of the holy face is like a mini exorcism by Father Lawrence Carney. This is the first part of two conferences which Father gave in South Dakota. He explains the purpose of the chaplet and how we know it is definitely for our time, as well as his favorite aspect of the devotion and how it connects to Our Lady of Fatima. Learn also how the Arch Confraternity Father Carney endorses is all about mystical combat, spiritual armies, corporate blessings and curses, avoiding bitter zeal, and the defeat of revolutionary men. The chapel of the Holy Face is like a mini exorcism because it includes Psalm 67, which St. Athanasius considered that to be, well, he asked the, the demons, told him that that was the most hated part of the Old Testament, if not the whole Bible. And Pope Leo XIII, when he wrote the minor exorcism, which exorcists use, he included Psalm 67, verse 2, just what we said in that chaplet. So the main purpose of the chaplet is for the triumph of the Catholic Church. So this is a chaplet that is definitely for our times because we are seeing not the triumph of the Catholic Church, but the opposite. So I've been praying about what to tell you. I believe the Holy Spirit has put on my heart is to start with these words from the Old Testament. Oh, and by the way, these books, I ask for a donation of $30, and anyone that wants one, that has one, come up and I'll sign it. And then the other one, I ask for 20 and I'll sign that too after this talk. So Leviticus chapter 26, verse 8. Five of yours shall pursue a hundred others, and a hundred of you, ten thousand. Your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. That's the inerrant word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired the author to write that. So that reminds me that we are in a spiritual battle. And the arch confraternity of the Holy Face and the confraternities of the Holy Face that are around the world, they are considered spiritual armies. And they are in a mystical combat to fight the enemy. And those that engage in spiritual warfare underneath the protection of this confraternity, arch confraternity, the Holy Face, they have a whole blueprint of how to attack the enemy that's been given by heaven. So if you want to have the most effective way of fighting, then I, I encourage you to take note today how important this spiritual battle is and how important this arch confraternity is. So in that quote, if there's five good people, God said he'll take down a hundred evil people. And if there's a hundred good people, God said he'll take down 10,000. So I used to be in math, and that's called an exponential curve. That means it doesn't take a whole lot of people in the whole world to take down the enemy. To take down those drag queen people, those elites of the world, doesn't take much. But it, it does require something of a remnant. There's an example in the Old Testament. This was also an inspiration. I was praying a rosary around here. And I used this a lot. But in 2 Paraponelia, which is in the Old Testament, chapter 20, 
King Jeroboam was a great archer. And his grandfather, David, King David, wrote the Psalms. Jeroboam was one of the good kings. There was about four good kings out of 39. And his father, when he would shoot an arrow, it was noted that his arrow didn't just graze the armor. It always pierced through the armor. So Jeroboam was having an enemy attack him, the Edomites, the Ammonites, and other groups. He was so outnumbered that he almost fainted. But he started to turn towards God, and he put his face on the ground, and he prayed, and God inspired him. And you'll read this in the Old Testament. He asked one of the Levites that are, those are like deacons in the priesthood, to preach to the men before the battle. Because they were coming. The enemy was coming in close. And the Levites said, men of Israel, fight this battle, but pray to God. Pray to God because God will fight the war for you. So the next day at the battle, King Jeroboam decided to put the singing man in the vanguard. What does that mean, Father Carney? That means this. King Jeroboam pit men, they were chanting on the front lines as they moved against the enemy. What were they singing? Dixie Dominos Domino Meo, Sedea Dextris Meis. And they were singing in Hebrew the Psalms of King David, the grandfather of King Jeroboam. His mercy endureth forever. So when they started to chant, the enemy that greatly outnumbered the Israelites, was so confused that they began to look at each other and they started to fight amongst each other. There was a civil war and they killed each other. And it says in the Old Testament, one of the Israelites climbed up the tower and when he gazed at the enemy, after they had decimated themselves, there was a pool of blood like a lake. So what's the moral of the story? If there's five good ones, God will take down a hundred. If there's a hundred good men, God will take down 10,000 of the enemy. So how do you apply that today? You have a prayer life like King Jeroboam. So whatever happens between now and the time you die, you know what God's telling you to do for your particular situation. That'll help you with many things. It'll keep you in the church. Because the devil is tempting many pious people into a trap to get out of the church. Being a man of prayer is very important here. And it also teaches us corporately, if we listen to God and form a spiritual army underneath the banner of the holy face, if there's enough good people that will join those ranks, being the best Catholics they can be, God will fight the war for us. And that's what the Levites said, God will fight this war for us tomorrow. And their faith was so great that King Jeroboam put singing men in the vanguard. That sounds like a wimpy solution to strong men, right? But he was inspired by God. And that was actually more strong, more virulent, more virtuous than putting his man out to fight conventional warfare at the time. So God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are deep. One more thing in the Old Testament that I want to mention. Question, though, first, can God take away our religion? 
The answer is yes. He can take it away as a punishment. God's ways are deep. Sometimes what looks like God is doing to us is, is evil, but it's not. Because God is infinitely good. Everything he does is for our good. God wants our advancement more than our satisfaction. He wants our advantage more than our satisfaction. So I'm going to paraphrase from Leviticus 26. If you walk in my precepts and keep my commandments and do them, I will give you rain in due seasons. And the ground shall bring forth its increase, and the trees shall be filled with fruit. And it goes on with the blessings. I will take away evil beasts, and the sword shall not pass through your quarters. You shall pursue your enemies, and they shall fall before you. Well, the story I just gave you. I will look on you and make you increase. You shall be multiplied and will establish my covenant with you. So let me pause for a minute. When I was in New Orleans about five years ago, I was at a church called St. Alphonsus. That church had been closed, and it was run by about 12 people who were on the historical society. They kept the doors open. And they said, Father, during World War II, guess how many people came here to do the perpetual help devotions on Tuesday nights? I said, I don't know. He said, 20 to 30,000 people. Where has our church gone? It's a little nothing. We have not followed God's commandments. I will look on you and make you increase, and you shall be multiplied, and I will establish my covenant with you. Okay, those are the blessings. But if you hear me not, not do all my commandments, if you despise my laws and contemn my judgments, so as not to do those things which are appointed by me, and make void my covenant, I also will do these things to you. I will quickly visit you with poverty and burning heat, which shall waste your eyes and consume your lives. You shall sow your seed in vain, which shall be devoured by your enemies. I will set my face against you, and you shall fall down before your enemies, and shall be made subject to them that hate you, and shall flee when no man pursueth you. I will chastise you seven times more for your sins and will break the pride of your stubbornness and I will make you the heaven above as iron and the earth as brass. Your label shall be spent in vain and the ground shall not bring forth her increase nor the trees yield their fruit. So this is a corporate punishment. That means if our whole human family today keeps breaking the Ten Commandments, this is going to happen to the whole world. And that was like a dress rehearsal in 2019 when they closed our churches, that was a dress rehearsal of us becoming enslaved. Right now, in my opinion, we do not live in the worst times ever in history because the Israelites were enslaved. They were also slaves of the Babylonian captivity. They were slaves. We're not slaves yet here. We're getting close. We're getting close. How many times is the face of God mentioned in the Holy Bible, 840 times. How much is the countenance of God mentioned in the Bible? 101 times. So there is something here. When people become devoted to the arch comforting the Holy Face, and this devotion, their prayer life takes a whole different direction. And when they pray the Psalms or when they read the Bible, 
when they pray prayers that have the face of God, it just triggers something in them. They see it. They're more sensitive to seeing the beauty of this devotion. This devotion is not new. Many prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about the coming of God who would be the face of the divinity. And when did that happen? At the nativity, when Jesus Christ became a babe in the manger, it was the face of God because the Son of God is God. And when he took on our flesh, then the divinity showed his face to us through the face of Jesus Christ. And many times when Jesus Christ would be preaching, like, for example, I think the woman at the well of Canaan, his face would become radiant. He would tell the women all the things she did, even though he didn't see it. And his face would come right. When, when Peter denied Jesus Christ three times during the Passion and the cock crowed, Jesus looked at him with a face of love, and maybe his face was radiant. And Peter began to cry because he knew he had committed a sin, a grave sin against our Lord by denying Jesus Christ. And then Peter probably went to Mary to confess his sin, to get it off his chest since there wasn't confession yet. And then after our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, he was gone and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And then we have the beginning of the church. And then so many saints began to reveal to us the beauty of the holy face. So remember, one of them is St. Jude. He would wear a medal of the face of Jesus Christ because so many people thought he was the traitor Judas. So he would wear that so that that would break the ice and he didn't have to explain it every time he saw somebody. St. Michael the Archangel, also at the beginning of time, he said, who is likened a God when the demons wanted to start their own kingdom? He said, who is likened a God? How are you to tell God to tell him how to rule eternity, to rule the universe? Who are you to tell him that? And then he sent him to hell. So the very name of St. Michael is, who is likened a God? Okay. There's St. Dismas, the good thief. He recognized that Jesus Christ was God. Even though there was blasphemy going on all around the cross, he saw that. And what did he say? Lord, may I come into your kingdom? And our Lord said, you will be with me today in paradise. And then there's St. Veronica. She broke through the mob to console the face of Jesus Christ when Jesus was carrying his cross. There's St. Martin of Tours. I'll talk about him in a minute. St. Augustine. St. Francis of Assisi had devotion. St. Gerdur the Great. St. Julian of Norwich. St. Veronica of Giuliani. On and on. So now let's get into the modern times. So even though this devotion is always old, it's always new. What's There's a new thing that heaven wanted to stress. So in the 1840s, there was a lady who became known as Sister Mary de Saint-Pierre. She grew up in Rennes, France, and she wanted to join the Carmel nearby her house, but there wasn't enough room. There was a shrine to St. Martin of Tours, 
And she went there. They were displaying his relics to venerate them. And she venerated them very profusely and said, St. Martin, I want you to help me. Find me a place to become a Carmelite. And her prayer was heard by St. Martin of Tours. And so St. Martin of Tours helped her to find a place to join Carmel in Tours. Who is St. Martin of Tours? He was the bishop in the 4th century of Tours, France. He was a military man, but he told the general, I will no longer fight for the emperor, but I will fight for God. And then he went and saw St. Hilary, and he learned about becoming a catechumen. And then he went out into the caves and became a hermit. And then the bishop asked him to become a deacon and an exorcist, which he did. And then he went back out to pray again. He wanted to be hidden from the world. Then the bishop died, and the people wanted him to become the bishop. And he was wearing these rags, and he was all dirty. And the bishops that came to elect the bishop for tours, some of them looked at him and said, this man is not worthy of the office of a bishop. And the crowd picked him up and carried him and said, we want Martin. And he was then made bishop by popular acclaim. We don't do things like that anymore. It's neat. We, I wish we would. <laughs> so St. Martin is a man that is a saint that's working and having doing great things. So that's where Sister Mary St. Peter became a nun. November 11th is the Feast of St. Martin. So guess what day that she left the world? November 11th. She entered the Carmel on November the 13th. And when she was there, she mentions in her autobiography, it felt like home. What a grace. Then God started to do miraculous things with her. And Jesus Christ began to tell her about this devotion that he's going to give to the world. And Jesus told her, this is going to be one of the greatest devotions that heaven will ever give to the world. Right below the sacraments. And Jesus said, everywhere my father and I are being mocked by blasphemy. Even children are blaspheming. And this is the main point of my whole talk what I'm about to say. So listen. Listen. This is my favorite part of the whole devotion. My father is not going to punish the human race so much with the elements, but with the scourge of revolutionary men. So there you have it. That was around the middle of the 1840s. Can God punish us with revolutionary men? Yes. Is he doing it? Yes. Once we see this and take that to prayer, it should go into our heart and should help us to realize the tactics that we need to fight are different than before we knew that information. Because sometimes we can say, at least I'm not committing mortal sin. At least I'm going to Sunday Mass. At least I'm going to Latin Mass. And then when they take away the Latin Mass, we start fighting the fight that God doesn't want us to fight. But at least I'm not in mortal sin. Yeah, but that's a thing called bitter zeal. And it stops people from advancing to the higher levels of the spiritual life. So I'm here to tell you, instead of fighting, attacking bishops and cardinals and popes, take to heart this devotion. Because God 
gave us a blueprint from heaven of how to fight this revolution. Because he told us, I'm punishing with revolutionary men. So I'm telling you how to fight. Don't fight your own ways. Sometimes people don't want to suffer, so they fight in a different way, and it never ends well. Then Jesus told her, I want Veronica's who will break through the mob and console my face. So we need to break through the mob of the people in the hierarchy and the church that are trying to take away our Latin mass. How do we do that? We console the face of Jesus Christ. That is a contemplative thing to do. That's not going to Pilate and killing him. It's not going to the Roman soldiers and cutting their legs off and saying, free Christ and stealing Christ. That's not how he wants us to fight. He wants us to be the best Catholics we can be and to engage in the interior life. That's hard stuff to do. He wants us to be patient and to suffer. We only have one dear hierarchy that Jesus has given to us. And Pope John Paul II and Pastor Adabovobis said, the fervor of how we pray, I'm paraphrasing, the fervor of how we pray for our hierarchy and our pastors and our priests determines whether we get holy bishops and priests or unholy bishops and priests. So we have no excuse to receive the punishment that God is giving to us if we're not praying, if we don't have a serious prayer life. And this devotion equips men, especially, of how to be like the singing man in the vanguard. Sounds like a wimpy solution, doesn't it? I used to think when I was growing up, it was effeminate to sing. Well, I'm totally wrong. Because chanting the divine word of God, called Gregorian chant, is a fierce weapon against the enemy. And this is a mystical combat, folks. So what else did Jesus tell Sister Mary St. Peter? Jesus told her that this devotion was going to be promulgated for a while. So it was promulgated in the last part of the 1800s. And then it sort of disappeared. And he promised there will be a second wave of apostles of this devotion in, in later times. And I think we're upon those times. Because the Arch Confraternity in Tours, France, that takes enrollments for people to join, they're so behind. Last year, after nine months, they had a thousand people from the United States enroll. In Ireland, they had two. In France, they had like three. In the Philippines, they had about seven. So there's so many people that are preaching about this. Other priests and miracles are happening. That's one of the promises of this devotion. So the quickest way to get out of this mess is to do what heaven tells us. And this devotion is so closely tied to Our Lady of Fatima, praying the rosary and doing penance. The children saw hell. Our Lady is a good mother. She tells her children the truth. Little children need to know that hell is a bad place to go. So she receives these revelations and Jesus told her, Sister May St. Peter, basically your job is to receive these revelations, write them down, and to have the archbishop approve of them. So towards the end of her life, the archbishop was very positive with what she was doing. But then he had a change of heart, and he was afraid of the enemies 
of piety around him. So he sent a vicar to go and have an interview with Sister Mary St. Peter. And Sister Mary St. Peter said, why is not the bishop making this, these revelations approved? Why is not there a confraternity of the holy face yet? The priest delegate argued with her and said, you must cease and desist and never talk about it again. Now what did she do? She obeyed. And then she had something like throat cancer. And then a, a wasp even went in to sting her throat inside. I don't know how that happened. But I read that. And it was so painful for her how she died. But she made reparation of blasphemy. And why wouldn't the pain come from her throat where people's throats are the ones that spew out blasphemy? So she made reparation. And then another man comes onto the scene, Venerable Leo de Pont, who became friends with Sister Mary St. Peter. And he began to promote this devotion, these revelations, this whole system of a confraternity to fight against the revolution. Meanwhile, while this was all happening, when Sister was still living and receiving the revolutions, Karl Marx and Engels were doing their thing. They were starting the foundation of communism. And the Communist Manifesto came out three months after the first revelation that was given to Sister Mary St. Peter. So heaven is telling us something. Connect the dots. This devotion Jesus told her will destroy communism. It will destroy the Freemasons. It will destroy Protestantism. It will destroy all the revolution because God will then relieve us from his punishment of sending the scourge of revolutionary men to us. Just like the men that were singing in the vanguard, they committed civil war. If enough people, I, in my bones, in my heart, enough people join this movement, then God will fight the war for us. And by the way, Sister Wilhelmina, that black nun who supposedly is incorrupt, she was devoted to the Holy Face, and she may have been a member of the Archconfraternity of the Holy Face, and I was her chaplain and confessor for her last six years. Black lives matter. And God knows politics better than anyone else. That's a, just a miracle. There's, I won't go into some of them, but there's some small miracles that are happening, and that's one of the promises. So Venerable Leo Pont, speaking of miracles, he received an image of the holy face that was touched to the veil of Veronica. So let me backtrack a minute. In 1849, Pope Blessed Pius IX was being exiled by the Freemasons. He exiled himself because his Secretary of State, a few days before he left for Gaeta, was killed in cold blood. And if you know St. Maximilian Kolbe, when he was a seminarian in Rome, he saw the Freemasons marching in parade. It's similar to the gay pride parade like today. They're all revolutionary men. And so his life was in jeopardy. So he commanded all the churches of Rome to do reparation. So in St. Peter's Basilica, they took the veil of Veronica from the second level, put his image down for people to venerate for three days, and they covered the veil. Because the veil is so dark, you can't even see his face anymore. But they covered the veil with a very thin piece of silk and what happened for three hours 
that piece of white silk took on the lineage of the face of Jesus. And there was a, a dim light that was coming miraculously from that. An artist came up to draw that from Italy during those three hours. And they engraved him and put them on linen or silk and sent them all over Europe. Having been touched to the veil of Veronica, the spear, and the cross. So these were like relics stamped with the cardinal's stamp on it. And the notary of the Vatican came to see this miracle. And he certified and said, this is a miracle. And in the day book of the Vatican, the canons who were taking care during those days noted the miracle too. So this is coming from the highest parts of the church. And the Pope heard about it and said, this is a blessing of God. And so Venerable Leopold got a couple of these and he put one in his drawing room. He was a lawyer in tours. And he would burn a hanging lamp with olive oil or some oil with a floating wick. And people would come to him after business to talk to him because he was a man of such deep prayer. And people would ask him for a healing. And he would take the oil and bless them. And he would do the litany sometimes nine times of the litany of the holy face. And people were starting to get healed left and right. He started taking vials of oil, mailing them to people. People get healed out where he would mail this oil to. That there were so many healings. There were 6,000 certified miracles in his lifetime. That's a conservative number. And the Pope, Blessed Pius IX, said he's one of the greatest wonder workers of our times. And so what's heaven telling us? Then he promoted the devotion and the revelations that Sister Mary St. Pierre were getting because he was friends with her. And finally, after a couple decades, after Sister died, Archbishop Colette became the Bishop of Tours, the Archbishop, successor of St. Martin of Tours. And then he took the revelations out of the secret archives of the Archchancery and looked at them. And he sent them to the Benedictines of Salem to have them certified and they said this is dogmatically sound. And then he started a confraternity of the Holy Face. A year later, they sent a delegate to Pope Leo XIII to ask if they can elevate it from a confraternity to an arch confraternity. And what should have taken five years, the Pope said, now I'm not only going to make this an arch confraternity for France, but for the whole world. And he did it at an instant. And some think that the Holy Father received maybe a vision or an inspiration of what was going to happen in the future, of how this was going to be a spiritual army that was going to equip people with how to fight the revolution. I'll pause for a minute and make a concluding remark, and then we'll continue with Q&A. And then tomorrow I'll have part two of two. So I used to be investments. Before I was a seminarian, I say this all the time, almost everywhere I go, I was helping to manage $400 million. That was my dream job. My dad said, are you going to make rich people get richer the rest of your life? And I thought to myself, I can't do that. And God made me. He called me. He called me when I was six to be a priest. And I had been running for 19 years. And then when I was inspired to be a priest at the age of six, there was a priest who came into my classroom and had a, a card of Our Lady of Petrol Help. And he said, children, move the card back and forth and look at her eyes. I saw real eyes. I thought, wow, if a priest can do that, I'm going to be a priest. 
And I kept running away from it when I got older. And then my mom and I went into that kindergarten room. It had been changed in Adoration Chapel. And where the Eucharist was, was where I remember that priest's face was when I was called by Our Lady to be a priest. And I got on my knees and said, I'm done running. So I had this dream job. I knew all about investments. So why did I get all this background? That's because when I see my job was to look at small companies and to see, wow, they got good balance sheets and financial statements and profit and losses and ratios. I recommend this to my investment committee. I said, these are going to be stars, guys. Let's sell some of these and let's buy these guys. And they would take my advice. And that was my job. Well, I take that experience and tell you that this devotion is a rising star. Because if you have 6,000 certified miracles plus, God's telling us something. And why has this not taken off yet? Because Venerable Leo Pont said during the 1890s, the church was not ready for it. And when he saw the Communist Manifesto, he said, if they get what they want, the whole world's going to be enslaved to them. Well, are we there yet? So this devotion, in my estimation, is going to just take off. And Sister Wilhelmina is going to be praying for us from heaven. I hope. Now, there, I have to make a disclaimer. There needs to be an official investigation going on by the local ordinary there. So I stand underneath their decision. But just like Our Lady of Lords, when the miracle happened there, people could go and have piety towards that. So that's where I'm at. I'm just a child of the church. We only have one dear hierarchy. Okay. So. Before I go into Q&A, I just want to prime pump your beloved Father Lawrence Martin. My name's Father Lawrence. My feast day is November 11th. I was born on November 11th, the Feast of St. Martin. So there's no coincidence why I'm here. So when I was praying one of the decades on my way back, I walked around here. I was inspired to tell you this. He's leaving because he needs to do good things where he's going now. He's done all the good he can do here but leave his legacy. He wanted to start a confraternity, the Holy Face in this diocese, and he said it just never got off the ground. And he he proof of me coming here, and I'm here to tell you, you've got to get your sleeves rolled up, men, and make this happen. Because you will be so happy that you're fighting the fight, even though you might be the singing man in the vanguard. They're going to commit civil war in South Dakota. If you fight this fight. So, with that, are there any questions? This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Please spread this devotion to others. Our Lord has promised it will be a means to defeat communism and enemies of the church. For more Catholic resources and to support this vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. Every donation is appreciated and needed. May the name of the living God split them up by disagreements, and may the terrible name of the God of Eternity stamp out all their godlessness.